Welcome to the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I am Jack Ford. One of the interesting things, the compelling things about the world of college sports um, are what people do with their lives afterwards. And it's always curious as to how many um, people who have great success in different aspects um, after they finish uh, their careers as, as uh, student-athletes will point back to their experiences and how it prepared them and how it drove them and motivated them for what they did. That being said, uh, we have a fascinating person joining us today who, who has a, a, a background um, that will, I think, bedazzle you in terms of what she has done uh, as an athlete and what she has done with her life afterwards. Tori Murden McClure is the, now the president of Spalding University. Um, and it, it, to try to encapsulate your experiences in our 15 or 20 minute conversation is going to be a challenge. Um, so, so let's get started. Firstly, it's a delight to have you Thank here. You. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Um, let me start at the beginning, which is always a good place to start. And that is with, with your, um, your both academic and athletic experiences at, at Smith College. Right. Yeah. Right. And played a number of sports there. What, what first drew you to, uh, to, given the choices that you had to attend, why was it that you said, Smith, this is the place where I want to be? Oh, well, that's an athletic story. I, mm -hmm. uh, um, I didn't, couldn't afford to go and tour colleges, so mm -hmm. I just applied to a number of schools and got into a number of schools. But Smith, the basketball coach, wrote me a note and said, you should think about Smith. And so I chose Smith. <laughs> and um, I, a number of years ago, I was being inducted in the Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame. And every once in a while, they have to induct a woman just for, you know, <laughs> just for equity's sake. And I was walking into the event. And I think I even, you know, I pulled out all the stops. I think I was wearing a dress that evening. <laughs> and um, a newscaster said, you know, do you consider yourself an athlete? And I got a little puffy about it. I'm like, <laughs> and he said, well, you know, honestly, I think of you more of it as an intellectual and was talking about other things. And so when I took the podium that evening, I said, what does it take for a woman to be considered an athlete? I, I, I skied 750 miles across Antarctica to the South Pole. I rode 3,333 miles, rode a boat across the Atlantic Ocean. I even played college basketball. <laughs> does that not qualify me for it? Well, it's interesting because you get, you know, you have the appellation to you have to be a, a female athlete. You just can't be an right. athlete. Right. Yeah. You know, there has to be the modifier thrown right. in front of it for right. some reason. Yeah. It's, a, you know, I, I have a daughter who was a college athlete. She was a, a, um, a lacrosse player at Yale. She's now a cancer surgeon. And she, you know, goes through the, yeah, some similar, you know, to the being a female athlete, being right. a female yep. doctor. Yeah. You yep. know, she tells the stories repeatedly. How she's, yeah. so she's in the, the room and she's talking to the patient. She's already talked with the patient. Yeah. You know, but the family are there and she's describing what the surgery is going to be, what she's going to perform at the end. She'll say, are there any questions? And invariably, Hannah will go out and say, well, when are we going to meet the doctor? When's he coming yeah. in? And she's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you yeah. saying, yeah, yeah, really? Yeah. Is that not enough, what yeah. I've done here? So you end up there. Um, you engage in, in multiple sports there. And I'm, I'm curious about how you look back on that. And 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 whether it was indeed a springboard. Oh, absolutely. For everything and, afterwards. Know, and, and it's fun to be associated with the NCAA because it echoes um, opportunities that I had as a student athlete, and the persistence and the endurance and the resourcefulness that you learn as a student athlete that echoes in the rest of your mm -hmm. life. And um, I tell students today, you, you've got to do your homework. But I love having the athletes raise their hands, and I was like, okay, now if your coach tells you to lift weights on Tuesday and run stairs on Wednesday 
and run plays on Thursday? Are you going to skip it all and do it all Friday night before the game? You know, and like, <laughs> you know, academics, yeah. your, your, your mind is like a muscle and you got to develop it over time and, and work on it. And, you know, I talk about going to a prestigious women's college and hanging out with folks that wrote poetry all day long. Guess mm-hmm. what they are? They're poets. They're poets. You know? <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me talk about your, your academic life, and then I want to get into some of the other, the other things you've accomplished. We've touched base on rowing across the Atlantic, the skiing. But let me, let me focus for a few minutes on the academic, because if you look at what you've done, as I said, gra- graduating from this enormously prestigious academic institution, um, but that wasn't the end of, of your, your academic life. Uh, talk about where your academic journey took you then and, and the institutions you went to and the degrees that you had achieved. Right. So, I, you know, from my point of view or my perspective, I've been going in the same direction over different terrains. Mm-hmm. Um, from other people's points of view, I've had an erratic um, background. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was actually described when I was in law school as a... Um, brilliant but erratic student of the law. <laughs> and um, it was certainly true. At, at Smith, I was um, uh, I studied what now would be called neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a pre-med sort of on that track. But of course, they wouldn't do anything quite as um, <laughs> professional as mm-hmm. uh, offer pre-med uh, as a major. <laughs> and, um, and then took a very strange turn and ended up in divinity school at Harvard. I was going to ask you about that. What which got is, you there? Which, uh, which was a great experience. And at that point, I really thought I was going to go into the ordained ministry, not knowing that the Harvard Divinity School was probably the worst place to go if you really wanted to go into the ordained really? ministry. Really? sort of beat sense? that out of you. <laughs> there were um, 60 people in my entering Master's Divinity class, which is sort of the, the track to, to right. become ordained. And I think only two of us got ordained within that first couple of years. There may, you know, some of us may have um, gotten captured since, but, but. um, What what, what do you think caused that? What, what, what caused that diminution in the numbers? Where the others go and why? Yeah, they were really in this sort of intellectual track of, uh, and it's, and it's historically legitimate of going through any religious tradition and saying, well, here's where we made that part up. And here's where we made that part up. And then, you know, I come out uh, with a, fantastic education and all the nuances of theology. But the only thing I can tell you for sure is there is a God and I am not God. <laughs> and that's probably all I really need to know. Yeah. It's and been you probably valuable. didn't need a couple of years of, of study to right. learn that, but, but maybe you did. Well, I'm a, now I'm a Presbyterian leading a Catholic school. So it's <laughs> yeah. been really valuable yeah. to have that sort of theological training. I, was, um, t- I got invited to speak at the Vatican. And they knew I was a, a, a woman. They mm-hmm. knew I was from the United States. They knew I was leading a Catholic school. I, they hadn't done the research because they, they didn't, didn't know, know I was a Protestant. And uh, when I said I was a Presbyterian, the first three rows were all cardinals, and they started sort of elbowing each other like somebody <laughs> didn't do their homework letting her in. But I had great fun in that sense of um, the, the strength of Harvard in those days was a real grounding in all the world's traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, religious traditions and um, the preeminence of compassion in each of the in each of our um, sort of the uh, world religious traditions. It exists in every religious tradition that that call mm-hmm. to be compassionate toward others, particularly those who are in pain and those who are suffering. Mm-hmm. So that that sense is is very real. So I left there and I went to run a homeless shelter for women in a, a distressed part of Louisville, Kentucky, and mm-hmm. um, was looking around. At, well, there are policies they're letting these people end up homeless. We, we should fix this. We should change this. And ended up in law school to learn the language of the enemy. Right. And, um, <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I, I understand all that. I taught yeah. law school. I understand yeah. all of that. Yeah. What did you take away from, from your law school experience? 
my law school experience, you know, I had a, a friend, and it sounds snarky, but he said, you know, half the world will do something because it's the right thing to do. The other half you can sue. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's it, the, I think most of the world will do the right thing. And um, it's fun to have the legal background. I mean, it's, when it, you know, having gone to Yale, mm-hmm. the best thing about going to Harvard is I'm not intimidated by anyone who went to Harvard. Right. The best thing about having a law degree and, 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 and having the license to practice law is people threaten to sue me, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, fine. You I know, know more about the law than you, you know, do. I'm, I'm, <laughs> fine. I'm fine with that. We can that. do that. You we know, can handle it. Actually, your son or daughter just didn't do their homework. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good luck with that suit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so coming out of law school, uh, you, you went in with a not necessarily um, the, the, the same idea that most people did, which is I want to be a lawyer, I practice law. Right. You went in saying, okay, how can this help me looking at bigger pictures and policy areas? Right. Did it help you in that? As I looked around sort of pre-law school, I recognized that everyone who was in a position of authority to, to make a difference and change things, that they were or had been attorneys. Mm-hmm. And sort of in the political realm, in the public policy realm, in the, you know, drafting legislation, whatever it might be, they were all sort of grounded in the law and the principles of the law. So I've never, I've never regretted either uh, course of study because there, you know, there's a lot about the law and actually there's a lot about legal traditions that have gone awry because of, they come out of a religious right. um, uh, ethos. Mm-hmm. And the whole penitentiary system mm-hmm. uh, was built on, on monasteries. Like if, if you did something wrong, we excommunicated you, we right. removed you from the community, right. we sent you to the monastery and put you in a cell. And you were isolated and you withdrawn. had to be penitent. Right. And if you ultimately you were penitent long enough and people believed that you were repentant, they might let you out back into back into re 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 emerge you allow right. you back into the community and, and we've learned now that the penitentiary system doesn't, doesn't work doesn't yeah. work right. not for what we want it to right. does it isolate people yes yeah. does it does it take them away from the rest of society yes right. does it per, does it prepare them to be reinserted into the rest of society no. in most instances no and that sense of shame and reintegration uh, we sort of lost as we yeah. removed the community from um uh, helping with those with those wrongs, and and as as you well know, most people who are in jail aren't dangerous. We're just mad at them, yeah. and there are a lot less yeah. expensive ways to be mad yeah. at people. I was a prosecutor and I was a defense attorney, yeah. so I've seen it on both sides. If yeah. you're, so let let's pick up with this, and I love the way you described it. You 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 were in a direction, you just traveled over different terrain, right. <laughs> getting there. Let's talk about literally traveling over different ter- terrain. I want to start with the idea of rowing across the Atlantic. Right. Okay. Um, you, you, you ultimately did it. Yes. You had one attempt and you ran into hurricane season and then subsequently you did it. But my first question to you is where did that idea come from? <laughs> well, I tried out for the Olympic team right. as a rower mm-hmm. and I uh, was in an automobile accident on the way to the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Um, broke two ribs, um, destroyed a, um, a, a disc in my back, went on and competed anyway, mm. didn't do very well. <laughs> and I wouldn't have made the team even if I hadn't been injured but because um, I just wasn't fast enough, <laughs> real basic problem. But I had the sense of I could go forever and heard about a rowing race across the Atlantic Ocean. And I thought, well, I'll do that. And one thing led to another. The, the rowing race didn't, didn't work out for, for, for me and my teammate, but came to, you know, as the biggest, strongest woman who showed up in that field. And a, a sector sport watch said, well, we want to sponsor a woman to row alone across the ocean. Would you do that? And I was like, 
I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. And then it turned out, yeah, <laughs> But okay. then you became that yeah, crazy. Yeah, I was that crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, why? I guess the simple question is, why did you want to do it? It's a, I wrote a book to answer the question. It's a complicated um, – the honest answer is complicated. I have mm. lots of smart aleck ones that are short. <laughs> yeah. um, but I grew up with a brother who's intellectually disabled and always had the sense if, if I could just be bigger or smarter or stronger or faster, I could make the world safe for him. And then it became about honor and duty and justice and responsibility. And, and, and I'd get so angry at – I would take a burnout job, whether it was working with the homeless or working with disturbed um, – uh, teenagers. And I would just get so angry at the injustice in the world that I would just pick up and leave the world from time to time when I skied to the South Pole. I was in divinity school, pulled mm-hmm. up stakes, went skied to the South Pole. And it was a sense of if I can just climb this mountain, I won't feel helpless anymore. If I can just ski across this continent, I won't feel helpless anymore. If I could just roll across this ocean, I won't feel helpless anymore. And the sense of when I'm talking to teenagers, I'm like, I was stupid. You know, <laughs> I, most women don't have to row 3,000 miles to figure out that love and friendship are good things. Yeah. And that I was busy trying to be something bigger than a, than a human being and not enjoying the, the pleasure of just being human. Mm-hmm. And I can row to the moon. I will still just be a human being. You wrote a book about it, and, and it, it was titled A Pearl in the Storm, How I Found My Heart in the middle of the ocean. And I, I've seen the quote, Matt, you're saying that you didn't know, you didn't have it, but you, you found it. You found your heart <laughs> after this. What do you mean by that, that you found your heart? And why did you have to do that to find it? Well, as you as you probably know, um, authors don't get to write the titles for their books. No, I know. I've written yeah. a couple. I've written yeah. three books, and yeah. the struggle is always, oh, I love this title. And the mm-hmm. publisher says, no, nah, no, yeah. we don't like no, the title. They, they We've got it. our own title. Yeah, they hated all my titles. <laughs> um, the opening line of the book, though, is, in the end, I know I wrote across mm-hmm. the ocean to find my heart. In the right. beginning, I wasn't aware it was missing. And I had approached the world very much from a uh, cerebral point of view. And I was searching for enlightenment, but I was searching for enlightenment enlightenment with my head and had no understanding of sort of heart heart issues and um, I had the privilege of working for Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. probably the most viscerally compassionate human being I have ever met now he he got it in heart mm-hmm. and and um, I have a, another friend Karen Armstrong who wrote a history of God she was giving me grief one evening for rowing a boat across an ocean. I was like, you wrote a history of God. You can't pick on me for audacity. <laughs> but she's an intellectual. She only gets it with her brain. Right. Compassion for her actual neighbor, not so much. And that sense of um, to be a whole human being, you have to be, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mix of things. And I had ignored sort of developing heart and um, was proud of my lack of social skills. Very proud of my lack of social skills. Like you can't spend two it and a half a badge months. for you. You can't spend two and a half months alone in a rowboat if you're not an introvert, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you say you found your heart, what exactly did you discover? It was really giving myself permission to. Um, for me, it was giving into to love. I had, you know, um, between my unsuccessful row and my successful row a man wandered into my life and just didn't seem to take no for an answer and I was well on my way uh, to finishing my second row and got caught in a terrible storm and wasn't sure I was gonna be able to make it and that storm passed and I picked up the satellite phone and I called up this man and I said when I get out of this rowboat will you marry me and he says, sure, why not? Because he's really, he's really romantic. Sure, why not? <laughs> sure, I'm not busy. I, yeah. I, we can fit that yeah. in. Yeah, and, and, and what a blessing that's been for me. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, but it was letting down my guard. I, you know, I was rough and tough and had things I needed to do. And, um, you know, how many plays does Shakespeare have? There's not a happy marriage in any of them. You know, uh, uh, Socrates uh, wrote, by all means, uh, uh, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll be happy. If you get a bad wife, you'll be a philosopher. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. A great... So where you are now in this journey right, is the, the president of college. Yeah. What, and the same question I've asked you before, what got you there and why? So it's, it's not just any college, and mm-hmm. I've had opportunities to move to more prestigious places. It's a scrappy, under-resourced institution in the heart of downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And um, Kentucky's not known for its higher educational prowess. It's not known for its educational prowess. We have uh, 120 counties in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and in 100 of those counties, the educational attainment rate is lower than Mexico. And that's where the need is. And so that's where I put down roots. And it also happens to be where my husband lives. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was logical that I might go and stay (laughs) there. Uh, and, and, And Muhammad Ali was from Louisville. That's how we yeah. Know each other. yeah, it's it. I got an opportunity to meet him in the '96 uh, Olympics. I yeah. was with NBC News at the time. Oh, wow. We were covering the Olympics, yeah. and and that the iconic moment, moment. At a moment when he shows up with the torch in his hand, and I got a chance to interview him afterwards, um, and just, just what a, you know, a fabulous human being. Yeah. Uh, so, so getting now to, and you've been there since 2010. Right. Right. Present. And f- when you look at, at, at these, these accomplishments that you had, you know, rowing across the, the Atlantic Ocean, you know, climbing the mountain, skiing to the South Pole. And, and clearly, you talked a little bit about what you learned from them and most especially what you learned about yourself right. from them. What has being the president of, of an academic institution, a college, what has that taught you or has it taught you things about yourself? Yeah, I think I think self-awareness is one of those highly underrated leadership skills that, you know, if you don't know who you are, why should anyone else follow you and, you know, who you are and where you're going? And that, um, you know, why I chose to devote myself to education was, you know, I ask young people, think about what problem is it you want to solve? And I don't care what problem it is. Education will improve or alleviate or assist in solving that problem. And so it seemed like a good, a good place to, to spend my time. Yeah. And, um, and, and young, you know, being surrounded by young people all the time, they will challenge you mm-hmm. and they will, they will improve your self-awareness. Yeah, they yeah. Will, I, I've taught at Yale for 13 years now, an undergraduate yeah. seminar, and I see people, that it's my most enjoyable thing that I do yeah. and it's the most challenging thing yeah. that yeah. I do. You're in, you're out yeah. because of all of those things that, yeah. that you've said. Last question for you. When you, when you look at this, this, this pathway that you've traveled over these various terrains, and if you go back to your experiences as a student athlete at, at Smith, what did you take away from that that you think ha- has, has propelled you to the, the things that you've done with your life since? Yeah, it, um, I remember being a student athlete and having the sense that I was part of something bigger than myself. And, um, you know, rowing a boat alone across the ocean seems to defy that being part of something larger than yourself. But I might have been alone in the boat, but there were lots of folks who helped. 
And there were lots of folks who prepared me for that journey and that sense of stepping out of the boat and, and being some part of something larger than myself. And to, to have the opportunity to, um, I don't know, extend that to, to other young people, particularly now in the era where they were so polarized, um, to be a part of a team. And you don't have to like everybody on your team, mm -hmm. but you're still part of a team. And to, to get knocked down and get back up again um, is such a privilege, yeah. Well, I, I think that in many ways, all of us who have experienced the, the you know, the, the life-changing aspects of being a student athlete, um, I think share in what you what you talk about. Although, for a few as a, a few of us <laughs> have decided, well, I'm going to utilize that to row across the Atlantic <laughs> and to ski to the Antarctic. But you're an inspiration for all of us. Tori Merton McClure, as I mentioned, the president of Spalding University. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you, chatting Thank with you. you. Thanks for spending time with us. We appreciate it. Does it for this edition, then, of the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. <laughs>